From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. Welcome to The Surgery Set. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever you downloaded this. It really helps us grow the podcast. On this episode, which is our 50th, I speak with Dr. Carol Bradford. She's professor and chair of the Department of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery and co-director of the Head and Neck Oncology Program at the University of Michigan's Rogel Cancer Center. She's long been a part of the University of Michigan community, beginning her academic career at Michigan as an undergraduate. Dr. Bradford works to develop therapies to combat certain types of head and neck cancer that are resistant to traditional forms of treatment. She pioneered the use of sentinel lymph node biopsy as a diagnostic and therapeutic tool for patients with melanoma of the head and neck. I spoke with Dr. Bradford after she gave a Grand Rounds talk here in Madison. You can find a link to her talk on the Surgery Set webpage, which is surgery.wisc.edu slash podcast. Enjoy. So Dr. Bradford, welcome to the Surgery Set and welcome to Madison. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here today. It was a real pleasure to have you uh, make the trip over from Michigan. Tell us a little bit about what you do in Michigan. So I am currently the Executive Vice Dean for Academic Affairs and a professor of olaryngology, head and neck surgery. I am the former chair of the Department of Olaryngology, head and neck surgery at Michigan. That's where I've spent my entire life and career. And I, though I am executive dean, I still do have the opportunity and privilege to see patients one day a week and operate a couple times a month. Wow. And the operations that you're doing is a lot of what you, you talk about in your grand rounds. I mean, you're talking about series of patients, you know, 2,000 plus patients that you've operated on solely around this area of melanoma and lymph node resection. I yes. mean, you, you are a busy surgeon. <laughs> Right. Again, I've been at it a long time. So over the course of many, many years, I've operated on thousands of patients with cutaneous melanoma of the head and neck. Yes. And what really struck me about your talk is the progression of the way we've sort of thought about how you manage melanoma. So I'm a Celtic extraction person, you know, redheaded, had some sunburns in my youth. So so I think about this. Right. It's not something that comes up in pediatric surgery a lot, but it's something that's always in the sort of back of my own head, hopefully only figuratively, but you're, you're talking about the people who have melanoma in the back of their head, literally, and, and how that melanoma treatment has evolved. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of the progression and, and kind of where we are now, and, and then maybe we'll talk a little bit, too, about you know, where things are headed, because it sounds like there's some exciting new things coming down the line. Right. So the key to melanoma is early diagnosis and treatment, but I, I would say even if we go back further sun and sunburns and sun exposure cause melanoma. So the first prevention strategy is wear sunscreen, stay out of the sun between the hours of 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., and uh, absolutely, absolutely avoid tanning booths. Tanning Mm. booths are skin cancer-causing machines. So yes, I'm also fair-skinned. I'm not red-headed, but I'm blonde, and I also am prone to sunburns. And so I'm, nobody's perfect, but I really do not like to be out in the intense sun between the hours of 11 and 2. So melanomas present as a pigmented or dark lesion. 
anywhere on your body. Uh, it can also occur on mucosal surfaces. And it's a mole or a dark spot that has irregular color, asymmetry, irregular borders, evolution of change, etc., etc. So first line is if you see a mole that looks funny, see a dermatologist and ask them to remove it and send it for biopsy. Now, sometimes they'll say, oh, it's something else and do something else. But, you know, you want these things diagnosed early rather than late. And people come to you after they've been to the dermatologist, they've had that biopsy. There's been a difficult conversation about this is melanoma. Yes. And, and melanoma can mean a lot of different things in terms of like how that's going to affect your life, yes. right? Yes. What do you talk to patients about? They come in, they have a, a melanoma of the head and neck um, mm-hmm. if they're seeing you, and where does the conversation and the, and the treatment go from there? Great. So how it works at our institution is patients begin in our multidisciplinary melanoma clinic. So they get an educational DVD video. They are counseled. The dermatologists do a whole body skin exam, making sure that the melanoma we're seeing is the only melanoma they have. They are referred to me if they are candidates for sentinel lymph node biopsy, which in general means that the Breslow depth is greater than or equal to one millimeter, or the 0.76 to one millimeter group with adverse features. So they come to me, the head and neck cancer surgeon, for discussion and of the benefits of sentinel lymph node biopsy procedure, and and that is offered to the patients that I see. If it's just a simple excision that's that's managed elsewhere, plastic surgery or dermatology or... Or even our our Odo uh, facial plastics team. But yeah, so just wide excision. I mean, I can do that, but again, my practice is the head and neck realm, and so my colleagues might see those patients. Right. So when they're coming to you, it's a it's known to be beyond a certain thickness yes. that's more likely to have caused spread yes. at least to lymph nodes nearby. And correct. that's that's your area of, that's of real area. expertise. That's my right? area of real expertise. You've yeah. got that correct. Yeah. And real expertise in your case means literally thousands and thousands yes. of cases. Yes. If someone out there doesn't live in Michigan, they're going to their local surgeon, it sounded like there's a sort of a minimum number. It's not thousands, right? Right. Like, so, yeah, so the learning curve for these cases is about 50 to 55, but I also think it's not just the surgeon, it's the dermatologist, it's the dermatopathologist who's reading that melanoma biopsy slide, it's nuclear medicine, it's do they have SPEC-CT at the institution. SPEC-CT is a more detailed study to find out where the sentinel lymph nodes are. So it really requires a robust multidisciplinary team. I think that's like a recurring theme that that I hear all the time in the podcast, right? We we bring in these <laughs> national luminaries and we say, you know, tell us how it is that you have become this national luminary. And the answer is always like, okay, well, I've done thousands of cases, but I also work with dozens of other specialists in this area, and it's never just one person, right? It, the expertise is too... I mean, there's so much information and so much learning and different specialties, and, and I would add, in addition to the physicians, the nurses, the medical assistants, the you know physical therapists, speech pathologists. I mean, it's really the multidisciplinary team. Now, all of those aren't relevant for cutaneous melanoma, but certainly 
your dermatologists, your pathologists, your nuclear medicine docs, your medical oncologists, radiation oncologists are critical members of the team. Yeah. So a patient arrives in your multidisciplinary clinic. They're they're seeing all these people. Yes. They're found to have a single melanoma of the head, but it's it's deep. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, is it just there or has it has it spread? Right. Right. Precisely. And how it works, it's a hub and spoke model. So they would be seen the same morning. Then they travel over to my my office, my clinic, and I see them the very same day. And it's pretty standard, our conversation. I actually work with a PA who's done this work uh, with us for a long time. And so we evaluate them for wide local excision uh, with the appropriate margins, which are usually one or more, one to two centimeters, Mm -hmm. and sentinel lymph node biopsy. And so we talk through why we do that. It's to stage and find out if the melanoma has spread to the lymph nodes. And if it has or has not, that provides really important prognostic information for that patient in terms of the likelihood of them beating their melanoma. So it's really, really important information for patients and families to know. We talk about how we will rebuild the defect, the primary wide excision defect. Sometimes we'll do that at the same setting, and sometimes if it's going to become complex reconstruction, we'll delay it because we want to make sure that the margins or borders are free of melanoma cells prior to doing elaborate or complex reconstruction. The procedure takes about two to two and a half hours. Patients go home the very same day. We don't give patients and families any information the day of surgery because the primary tumor and the sentinel lymph node or nodes go off to pathology, and those take about a week for serial sectioning and immunostaining. So we we wait, and then I have patients come back, and I personally discuss with them the pathology results. 80% of the time, we've got it all, and the nodes are negative, and the primary site is clear, and then we tell patients there's about still about a 5% chance it could be in the lymph nodes because the accuracy of sentinel lymph node biopsy is about 95% in our hands. Mm. And if they ever notice a lump, come back and see me. So right. that's the easy yeah. conversation. Right, right. 20% of the time, however, uh, we perform all those procedures and one of the sentinel nodes or more are positive. And then that's the complex conversation. Yeah, right. Where we've come, it sounds like, is, you know, it used to be that you'd have this melanoma, you'd either get it removed, and then you just kind of wait and see, right? And then you'd see if you develop palpable nodes, and you'd, people would check, and you would check, and you'd sort of live in this, with this uncertainty of, like, I don't right. know how likely this is to right. come back. Or you'd have a, you'd an enormous procedure to take out all the nodes, right? and maybe they'd all be negative, right? So the right. value of sentinel lymph node is, is both, if it's negative, they can sort of say, like, oh, you, you're very unlikely to have a problem going forward. Right. Be vigilant, but you can take a deep breath. Or we should do this more invasive procedure, but we're not going to have to be doing it on everybody. We know now a very small selection of people. Right. Very excellent point, yes. And I would add that if in the olden days when we did elective nodal dissection, boy, if you did all that work and you gave your pathologist 50 or 100 lymph nodes, there's no way it would take them years to do the serial sectioning and immunostaining of all those lymph nodes. 
the standard pathology procedure is bisect a lymph node, look at it, and you're done. Mm. So the beauty of sentinel lymph node biopsy is that it's minimally invasive procedure, small incisions. You can go home the same day. Yeah. And it gives you the best information about that particular lymph node because that lymph node, again, I tell patients and families, it'll be cut up like a loaf of bread yeah. and stained with special stains that light up melanoma cells. And again, uh, everybody can understand that. And so it's a very specific and sensitive and reliable test to know if your melanoma has spread to the lymph nodes or not with 95% accuracy. And then if it comes back positive, then you're talking about doing the bigger operation to remove lymph nodes with some hope that that will, and actually some good evidence that that will improve your chance of survival. Right. And that was the case based upon the large clinical trial we we call multi-center selective lymphadenectomy trial or MSLT trial one. So then patients with a positive sentinel node received or were recommended to receive therapeutic lymph node dissection, and that was thought to that paradigm improve survival for patients with intermediate thickness melanomas between 1.2 and 3.7 millimeters because it was eradicating the the microscopic disease in the lymph nodes. And that was true until MSLT2. (laughs) That's always the way, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The sequel is always more interesting than the original. More complicated complicated than the original. Right. Uh, A few uh, twists and turn in the sequel. And so um, what MSLT2 suggests is that perhaps sentinel lymph node biopsy is actually not only a staging modality, but it's actually maybe the therapeutic modality because there's no difference in survival. So the patients had intermediate thickness melanomas and a positive sentinel node. So that was the entry criteria. And they were randomized to either observation, no therapeutic lymph node dissection, or therapeutic lymph node dissection. And Having no- already had their sentinel nodes out. Yes, right. the sentinel nodes are already out. Right. And there is no, so the patients who've had their sentinel nodes out, there's no difference in survival between those that had a therapeutic lymph node dissection or observation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But. (laughs) Of course. There's more likely, uh, and it's it's all sites, but there's more like, it's more likely to have nodal recurrence if you're in the observation arm. Okay. It's never simple. It's never simple. Um, But it sure does seem like. Sentinel lymph nodes have definitely a diagnostic role, possibly a, a good therapeutic role. Yes. Which I guess makes sense, right? I mean, right. like you're taking out the nodes right. that are diseased, right? Right. Is, right. And most people. That are drained. Run, right. It's, yeah. it's very, very unusual to have a patient say, I don't want to know the status of my sentinel lymph node. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants that. Yeah. Yeah. Almost everybody. For good reason. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. it really that. changes things. It yeah. really, really changes things. And if, boy, if it's, and what we, the evidence suggests that if the melanoma cells have reached the lymph nodes, it won't go away. It mm-hmm. won't remain silent. Most will become evident over years. And presumably by the time they're evident, you're feeling them in your yes. neck years later. And then they're not a It's cult, a bigger problem. Yeah. Much bigger problem with poorer outcomes. Yeah. Fantastic. I want to just close with the Australian, I don't know if it's a paradox, 
a lot of these studies are run out of Australia, and the melanoma rates in Australia are enormously high. And is that just because we've taken the people of Britain, right, who live in cloudy, rainy skies, and put them on the beach? Yes. That's the effect, right? I think, yeah. right. I think it's sun exposure. But Wisconsin residents and Michigan residents are not immune. So it is thought to be the sun burns, not chronic sun exposure. Mm-hmm. Chronic sun exposure is probably leads to uh, squamous cell cancer, but it's really the true sun burns that increase your risk for melanoma. And it's throughout your life, but even when we were young, yeah. um, those sunburns today... The sort of increase. blistering, like, sunburns, right? right? Blistering or just really, really red yeah. uh, sunburns. And so, yeah, I think that uh, in our global world, in our global population, we've taken, as you've pointed out, fair-skinned human beings and put them in climates where the skin color is not protective against the sun. Yeah, And that is... And, and again, we're both fairly fair. We're of moderately high risk. Yeah. Um, notably, I actually see a dermatologist every six months myself yeah. because I, I've had sun exposure. Sunscreen wasn't invented when I was young, and so I had those bad sunburns when I was little. Yeah. I wish my excuse was that sunburn, sunscreen hadn't been invented. It was more that I was a recalcitrant teen. But Hopefully, this is not an issue for us, but for certainly the patients that we treat. I, I just think it's it's so amazing to know that you know we're continuing to discover new ways to help patients without doing too much and without doing too little. Right? right. Yeah. That's the key. Right. Finding that key. balance. Yes. So, wonderful. Thank you again for making the trip to Madison. We're so thrilled to have had you here on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Join us next time on The Surgery Set when I speak with Dr. Gurjeet Sandhu. She's a surgical education scientist and assistant professor in the Department of Surgery at the University of Michigan. We'll be talking about the future of medical education, which is moving from a fixed schedule to progressive entrustment and graduated autonomy. Talk to you in a couple weeks. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. On Wisconsin